welcome to Sojourner True. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. On Wednesday, January 20th, 2021, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were officially sworn in as president and vice president of the United States. The theme of the inauguration ceremony was, quote, America United. At a time when the United States remain, remains more divided and weakened by crises after four years of Donald Trump, from his mishandling of the COVID-19 pandemic to his support for the violent capital insurrection, this country remains at an all-time low. All of that cannot be placed on the feet of Donald Trump, but also his supporters, including elected officials in Congress. Still. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris expressed optimism during their inaugurations on Wednesday, pledging to build back better. During his speech, Joe Biden said, America has to be better than this. He also listed the policy approaches that he believes would lead to healing the country. They include addressing COVID-19, racial justice, climate change, and domestic extremism, including white supremacy. Joe Biden is the first president to address white supremacy in an inaugural address, this according to NPR. During her speech, Vice President Harris said, quote, we are undaunted in our belief that we shall overcome, that we will rise up, end of quote. Within the United States and around the world, social, cultural, and political leaders expressed optimism at the new page being turned in U.S. history. Uh, President Biden made a strong call to unite the nation. Let us go to part of his inauguration speech now. Here we stand across the Potomac from Arlington Cemetery, where heroes who gave the last full measure of devotion, rest in eternal peace. And here we stand, just days after a riotous mob thought they could use violence to silence the will of the people, to stop, to drive us from this sacred ground. It did not happen. It will never happen. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever, not ever. all those who supported our campaign, I'm humbled by the faith you've placed in us. To all those who did not support us, let me say this. Hear me out as we move forward. Take a measure of me and my heart. If you still disagree, so be it. That's democracy. That's America. The right to dissent peaceably within the guardrails of our republic is perhaps this nation's greatest strength. Yet hear me clearly, disagreement must not lead to disunion. And I pledge this to you. I will be a president for all Americans, all Americans. And I promise you, I will fight as hard for those who did not support me as for those who did. 
And following the inauguration ceremony, President Biden signed 15 executive orders and two executive actions. Our guests are Jill Cartwright, who is the Georgia statewide organizer for Southerners on New Ground, known as SONG. Also, Bill Gallegos, longtime Chicano liberation and environmental justice activist, and London-based Selma James, activist, author, strategist, critical thinker, women's rights, and anti-racist campaigner. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Eileen Alfandari. A day after his inauguration, President Joe Biden is rolling out a national strategy to fight COVID-19, reopen the nation's schools, and restart the U.S. economy. His plan calls for an expansion of coronavirus testing, accelerated vaccine distribution, and new action to prepare for future such threats. The plan is tied to a $1.9 trillion plan that Biden unveiled last week to combat the pandemic. The U.S. is rejoining the World Health Organization, reversing the Trump administration's withdrawal from the global agency. Infectious disease specialist Dr. Anthony Fauci officially announced the news to an executive board meeting of the WHO. I am honored to announce that the United States will remain a member of the World Health Organization. Yesterday, President Biden signed letters retracting the previous administration's announcement to withdraw from the organization. The U.S. suffered its second worst death toll yesterday from COVID-19. 4,229 people died. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has projected 100,000 more deaths in the next three weeks, topping half a million. The pandemic-induced economic crisis continues to throw people out of work. The Labor Department reported 961,000 workers filed initial claims for state unemployment benefits last week. More than 400,000 filed under the separate program for gig workers and freelancers, It's called the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program. The Labor Department report underscores that President Biden has inherited an economy staggering under the weight of the pandemic. Over the winter, virus cases spiked, cold weather restricted dining and federal rescue aid expired. On his first day in office, President Biden also fired the general counsel of the National Labor Relations Board after Peter Robb refused to resign. It's an unusual move. The Service Employees International Union had urged Rob's ouster. It called the general counsel an extreme anti-union ideologue and a uniquely destructive figure. Three new Democratic senators were sworn into office, California's Alex Padilla and Georgia's Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff. The Senate is now split 50-50 with Vice President Kamala Harris as a potential tie-breaking vote. Christina Onestead reports. Vice President Kamala Harris swore in three new Democratic senators, all making history on their own. Do you solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic? I do. 
Alex Padilla of California is the first Latino senator from the Golden State, which has a majority Latino population. Raphael Warnock is the first black senator of Georgia. And John Ossoff of Georgia is the youngest senator. Congratulations. Those firsts weren't lost to New York Democrat Senator Chuck Schumer when he took helm as Senate leader. Alex Padilla is the first Latino senator to represent California. That Raphael Warnock, born while Georgia was represented in this chamber by two staunch segregationists, is now the first African-American senator Georgia has ever elected. And that John Ossoff is the first Jewish senator from his state, sworn in today on a book of Hebrew scripture once owned by the rabbi who decades ago formed a bond between the Jewish and African-American communities of Georgia. I'm Christina Onestead reporting for KPFA. In a first vote, the Senate confirmed President Biden's nominee for Director of National Intelligence, Avril Haines. Haines' nomination was temporarily blocked by Oklahoma Republican Tom Cotton. He was seeking information about the CIA's torture program. Missouri Republican Josh Hawley is blocking speedy confirmation for Homeland Security nominee Alejandro Mayorkas over Biden's proposed immigration reforms. At her first White House briefing, Press Secretary Jen Psaki said Biden's desire to have his cabinet confirmed and in place is front and center for the president. She said he was hoping to have his national security nominees in place today or tomorrow. Officials say twin suicide bombings have ripped through a busy market in Iraq's capital, killing at least 32 people and wounding dozens. The suicide bombing attack heightened political tensions over planned early elections and a severe economic crisis. An Iraqi spokesman called it a terrorist act perpetrated by a sleeper cell of the self-styled Islamic State. He said IS wanted to prove its existence after suffering many blows in military operations to root it out. The twin suicide bombings were the first in three years to target Baghdad's bustling commercial area. I'm Eileen Alfandiri for Pacifica Radio. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth, and this is our post-inauguration roundup. And before we welcome our first guest, I'd like to go to a clip of a speech that uh, President Biden uh, gave uh, last night, the evening of the inauguration at the Lincoln Memorial. Hello, all the participants of tonight's event. It's humbling to stand here in this place in front of these sacred words, humbling out of respect to President Lincoln and the office we now share, and humbling because of you, the American people. As I said earlier today, we have learned again that democracy is precious, and because of you, democracy has prevailed. That's why Jill and I, Kamala and Doug, wanted to make sure our inauguration was not about us, but about you, the American people. This is a great nation. We're a good people. And to overcome the challenges in front of us requires the most elusive of all things in a democracy, unity. Requires us to come together in common love that defines us as Americans. Opportunity, liberty, dignity, and respect. And to unite against common foes, hate, violence, disease, and hopelessness. 
America's story depends not on any one of us, not on some of us, but on all of us, on we the people. That's the task before us. The only way we'll get through the darkness around us. There are moments in our history when more is asked of us as Americans. We saw that in the Civil War. We saw that with Dr. King dreaming from these steps across the mall. We are in one of those moments now, the pandemic, economic crisis, racial injustice, the climate crisis, and threats to our very democracy. And the question is, are we up to it? Will we meet the moment like our forebears have? I believe we must, and I believe we will. You, the American people, are the reason why. I've never been more optimistic about America than I am this very day. There isn't anything we can't do if we do it together. And that's what you'll see tonight. Stories of ordinary Americans who do extraordinary things. That's how we'll celebrate America and respect and represent America in our time in office. America, America built of decency. It's built of decency and dignity, of love and healing, of greatness and goodness, of possibilities. This is a story that guides us, inspires us, and unites us today and always. So thank you for this honor. I will give my all to you. I will give my all to you, says President uh, Biden. Also, during the inaugural parade, Andrea Day uh, performed Rise Up. And as she was singing, a young black girl was skating on the Black Lives Matter sign that was painted on the street uh, very, very close to the White House. So very significant there, a nod to the Black Lives Matter movement and to young people and people across the nation who are rising up against injustice. Let us hear just a, a short piece of Andrea Day performing Rise Up. Is Andrea Day performing Rise Up at during inauguration 
day. I'd like to welcome our guest, Jill Cartwright. She is the Georgia Statewide Organizer for Southerners on New Ground, or SONG. SONG serves as a home for LGBTQ liberation across all lines of race, class, abilities, age, culture, gender, and sexuality in the U.S. South. SONG works to build and maintain a Southern LGBTQ infrastructure for organizers strong enough to combat the Southern-specific strategy of the right to divide and conquer Southern oppressed communities using the tools of rural isolation, right-wing Christian infrastructure, racism, environmental degradation, and economic oppression. Jill Cartwright, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me again. It's a pleasure to be here. and Jill, I, I really wanted to, to squeeze in that uh, Rise Up song because I, I felt it was really inserting uh, the voice of the, a movement that people like yourself uh, represents. And you worked so hard in, in Georgia um, and brought home to the Senate uh, two additional seats, you and, of course, and, and other organizers. And as we are now starting what many see as a, as a new era, and yesterday also, um, Warnock and Ossoff were inaugurated. Just give us your thoughts now moving forward. What uh, are you feeling hopeful, number one? And number two, what as a movement for change do you think we need to be doing right now? I am. I am feeling hopeful. Um, I think that we all are feeling a level of anxious anticipation right now with coming off the heels of um, a very distressful, um, you know, term uh, from the former president and also just being in the throes of multiple crises, both domestically and abroad. And so I think that we all are trying to grasp for hope um, and trying to keep that hope alive, even despite, you know, the future being a little uncertain right now. And so I'm definitely in that number of folks who are trying to keep hope alive. And what's keeping my hope going um, is not necessarily just a transfer of power. I think that it's important that this new administration, at the very minimum, is allowing us to at least take the time that we need, the space that we need to mourn those that we lost and to assess those losses and be able to take a deep breath and say, okay, where do we go from here? Um, And so that's deeply appreciated. But more than that, um, what I'm seeing in this moment is a commitment from myself, all of the organizers in Georgia and across this nation who put in the work to get here, who knew that at this moment um, that feeling would pay off, but that after we're done celebrating, after we take that day, that we need to keep going. And so right now, that's what anyone can expect from our movement is that we're not laying down our weapons, so to speak, right now. This isn't a time where we are going to just shake hands and agree. I think that there are a lot of issues on the table, issues of reparations and racial injustice. We still have to address the white supremacist insurrection that happened at the Capitol. We still have to talk about reversing the climate crisis and many other issues. Um, that were accelerated during the past four years. And so I think that right now, many of us are expecting that this will be a period to 
continue to jump into action, um, both on the side of movement and making sure that we're continuously pushing um, the Biden administration to the left, but also on the side of um, President Biden and VP Kamala Harris. Right. And Jill, the last time you were on the show, you really gave a, a quite remarkable, I thought, description of the kind of uh, organizing that you all did. Uh, again, uh, uh, all lines of race, class, abilities, age, culture, gender, uh, sexuality in a southern state, a, a formerly Confederate state. And you, you talked also a bit, and I, I wanted to, to just ask you to underscore that a little bit in terms of there is this urban-rural divide that we see so much across the country. And in a lot of rural areas, you find strong support uh, for Donald Trump, for example, and, you know, militias, et cetera. Um, so the, the urban-rural uh, divide and conflict is really a critical one. And you all have been dealing with it. And also a lot of people are not aware of the still numbers of rural impoverished black areas in Georgia. Jill Cartwright. Right. That's spot on. Um, President Biden in his inaugural address spoke about an urban rural divide in one of his many supplications for us to embrace unity, um, which was a very key key point in his address yesterday. And I think that that urban-rural divide is not so black and white, um, literally and figuratively, as we would imagine. Um, I think that is important to understand. And if you take anything away from the work that we did in Georgia, it's that our people are everywhere and that when we organize, we have to keep that in mind and understand that especially in these rural communities where black people are facing white supremacy and conservative strongholds. Um, these are battlegrounds for racial tension. This is where the battles are going to be won. This is where we're actually going to see those lines of class and poverty. We're going to see black folks, white folks, immigrants. We're going to see those people cross those lines and begin to see the other side and understand that actually we're a lot more similar than we think. Um, and I don't say that in a way to minimize, right, the racial tensions, to minimize the impact of white supremacy, especially in the South and in this nation. But I say that to say that what's divisive is not the geographic location of a people. What's divisive is when we have leaders and so-called activists and rioters and white supremacist thought leaders who are advocating that white people are losing something, that poor white people need to saddle up and get with race-first politics in order to be successful, in order to see the COVID relief that poor white communities are suffering from, just like black poor communities and the black community broadly. And I think now is the time to debunk those lies Part of it is going into the deep south, into these rural areas where we ask people for their vote. And now we need to be able to settle up as well and say, you know, you showed out and we know you're here now. How are we going to make sure that this tension is not something that you continue to suffer the most under? How are we going to recognize your contribution to the movement? 
um, to the historical Southern radical tradition and to the victory um, that President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris are enjoying right now. Right. And just a a final thought for uh, young people and other people who are saying, well, this is all well and good. In fact, in in Portland, there were uh, massive protests uh, yesterday, tear gas being used. Um, uh, Anarchists, they're they're called, were out on the street saying, you know, cussing out Biden and and Harris and saying it's not going to make any difference, et cetera. What do you say to those who because sometimes people working for change, we have some difficulty um, walking and chew gum at the, chewing gum at the same time and get confused about who the political class is and put on them the expectation that they're also civil rights leaders. Just a, a quick final thought on that, Jill. Right, right. Um, I remember seeing folks protesting and having both their anti-police and anti um, Biden signs um, in Portland. And I think that that's actually really important because Portland was one of the places during the uprising of 2020 where we saw the most <laughs> extended um, radical, I would even say, um, showing of uprising and political unrest in that city. That was one of the places where um former President Trump actually cracked down and started to exert his executive power um, to silence protesters um, and to try and institute law and order. And so I don't want to diminish the fact and the role that Portland plays in the movement um, in this time and in being able to push us to the left. I do want to say, though, that we have to continue to recognize that the bigger picture um, sits within what happens within these first 100 days. And I'm not just talking about policies that the Biden administration enacts, but I'm also talking about how we respond as a people. I absolutely think that we need to keep up the pressure. I absolutely think that we need to continue to be bold and outspoken about the injustices that have happened and about being able to settle up for 400 years of white supremacy. I absolutely think that we need to continue to uplift um, the cry from the streets to defund the police and to reverse the climate crisis and to fund black people and refund communities. Um, All of that is true. And also we need to make sure that that energy is concentrated and directed in a way that is very clear about our message. Um, We need to be very clear about whose side we are on um, and, ha- and, and continue to make those messages something that resonate with the broader community who showed up and out during the election and continue to show up doing mutual aid um, and organizing in their communities before and after the election. Absolutely. And, you know, often uh, people are put in the position of taking a position of good protesters versus bad protesters. So thank you for that, Uh, Jill Cartwright. We are going to have to leave it there. We'll have you back, an important voice uh, coming out of uh, Georgia, Southerners for New Ground. Jill, how can people get in touch with your organization? Absolutely. So our website is www.southernersonnewground.org. Um, you can also email takeaction at songsouth.org um, if you prefer email. And on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, 
We are at Ignite Kindred. Okay, we'll post that information on our social media. Thank you, Jill Cartwright. Stay well and safe. Thank Alrighty. you so much. It's great talking to you again. Okay, I'd now like to welcome um, our next guest. Um, Bill Guy goes, well, let me welcome you, Bill. Then I have a couple of clips that I want to um, integrate here and then get your thoughts. Bill Gallegos, longtime Chicano liberation and environmental justice activist, author of The Sunbelt Strategy and Chicano Liberation and Reflections on the Green Economy. He's also the former executive director of Communities for a Better Environment, one of the leading environmental justice organizations in the United States. Uh, Bill Gallegos recently authored the article entitled Ethnic Cleansing, a Program of Resistance. Bill, welcome back. Thank you so much, Margaret. So, Bill, what we're going to do is to just play a, a piece about um, uh, President Biden laying out his plans for the next 100 days. And just a, a, a short piece after that, um, because Spanish was spoken at the inauguration yesterday, and it was done by J-Lo, Jennifer Lopez, as she performed at the inauguration. Let's go to those clips now. And I thought that the state of the nation today is no time to waste, get to work immediately. In a redecorated Oval Office, the new president signed 17 other executive orders and actions, mostly rolling back President Trump's signature policies. They end the so-called Muslim travel ban, cancel the Keystone XL pipeline permit, and halt funding for the southern border wall. The U.S. will also rejoin the Paris Climate Accord. These are just executive actions. Uh, they are important, but we're going to need legislation for a lot of the things we're going to do. The administration is focused on setting a new tone. We're going to be judged whether or not we restored the integrity and the competency of this government. And White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said there would be a return to regular briefings. When the president asked me to serve in this role, we talked about the importance of bringing truth and transparency back to the briefing room. Hello, Kathy. President Biden also made his expectations clear to more than 100 new staff during a virtual swearing-in ceremony. If you're ever working with me and I hear you treat another colleague with disrespect, talk down to someone, I promise you I will fire you on the spot. On the spot. No ifs, ands, or buts. Everybody, everybody is entitled to be treated with decency and dignity. That's been missing in a big way the last four years. I'm going to make mistakes when I make them. I'll acknowledge them, and I'll tell you, and I'll need your help to help me correct them. Also this morning, the Department of Homeland Security is starting a 100-day moratorium on deportations and ending the Trump-era policy of requiring non-Mexican asylum seekers to stay in Mexico ahead of their court hearings. And an example of how the new president is re-engaging the world, the White House says that his first call to a foreign leader will be to our neighbors to the north. He's scheduled to speak with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau tomorrow. Tony? All right, Ed, thank you very much.
indivisible con libertad y justicia para todos. Bill Gallegos, and there was J-Lo, uh, Spanish-spoken uh, during the inauguration. Uh, uh, Bill Gallegos, uh, to you, you might want to say something about uh, J-Lo's uh, performance. I couldn't resist getting that in there, but also wanted to get your um, reaction to um, what Biden, President Biden, has now laid out a lot of uh, things there on on immigration, for example, on the Keystone XL pipeline. Lots uh, going on there. Bill Gallegos. Well, thank you, Margaret. Well, um, I'm feeling hopeful and I'm feeling uh, cautiously optimistic. I think some of the first steps that President Biden has taken around immigration are really very, very important. A moratorium on deportations. Uh, uh, the uh, uh, action on the deferred, uh, on the dreamers, um, introducing he's going to introduce comprehensive immigration reform legislation that focuses on uh, protecting the uh, 11 million undocumented people and giving them a path to citizenship. So those are all good first steps. There's a way to go. Uh, there has to be a radical transformation of the immigration office, uh, ICE from a military operation to one that, uh, as it did in the 1900s when they were European immigrants, focuses on processing people's paperwork so that they can get um, legal protection and a path to citizenship. So there's a ways to go, but it's a very, very good start. And it means a lot, obviously, to the uh, Latino community because we have been a particular focus of Trump's racist policies on immigration um, with the separation of families, putting children in cages, uh, incarcerating our folks in concentration camps. So I feel that's hopeful. I think uh, President Biden's steps on, um, on environment are important, rejoining the Paris Climate Accord, even with all its weaknesses. It's uh, in a, another terrain for struggle for us on the climate justice side, uh, canceling the Keystone XL pipeline, uh, putting a hold on oil and, and gas drilling in the Arctic Wildlife Refuge, which is extremely important in and of itself for Mother Earth, but also for the indigenous people of that region. So there's some very, very good um, initial steps, and there's something that hasn't gotten a lot of play, which is the adoption by the uh, Biden and Harris campaign of the Equitable and Just Climate Platform, a really comprehensive approach towards equity and climate justice that was developed under environmental justice leadership. And uh, the administration has now appointed one of the authors of that platform, Dr. Cecilia Martinez, to head up uh, a program for the program for environmental justice within his administration. So these are good initial steps. And I think he's outlined four priorities, the pandemic, which has got to be done right, uh, uh, racial justice, the economy, and the climate. And I just want to say something on racial justice. We have to make certain that that includes a deep exploration of the issue of reparations. Uh, there's been a promise that there would be a commission to explore that issue and perhaps develop some policy proposals. That has to happen. We can't let some of these things fall through the cracks. I think the second thing is putting all the weight of the Department of Justice uh, against the murder, uh, the brutal murder of African Americans and others. Uh, by the police. I think that they have to bring the full weight of that Department of Justice in a, um, 
really uh, opposing and doing whatever they can to um, to support the movement uh, for uh, radical police reform. So I think those are some of the things that we need to be thinking about right now. I'm like I say, I'm, I'm hopeful, and I want to give a you know the thing we saw yesterday, where there's an actual reference to white supremacy and a focus on racial justice. We have to thank BLM, the Movement for Black Lives, the Dreamers. And I want to give a special shout-out to the Unite Here Union, the Union of Restaurant Workers, which did incredible work in California, Arizona, Nevada, and Georgia, and played a big role. I know a lot of times we're wondering where the hell is labor. Well, they were there, and those are their – they've lost like up to 80% of their membership in this pandemic uh, without work, but they were working on this election and those are mostly black and brown folks, mostly women. So I want to give a special shout out to them. Right. And, and Bill, we just have a couple of minutes left. But what about now um, the movement for change, those who want to change the world? What do you think the focus uh, needs to be right now? Well, for, I'll just give you one example. I think there's uh, he's, uh, the president says he wants to focus on the pandemic first. And that's right. That has to be done. And I think this nearly $2 trillion recovery plan has to be passed quickly. Uh, but it has to be implemented in connection with leaders and organizations in our community. And that's unions, community organizations, mass organizations. I think that if this is going to be done with equity, you have to work with the folks that are on the ground. As we know, black, brown, Native American um, they have, we have suffered the first and the worst from this pandemic, and we have to be involved at the top and throughout in deciding how this uh, pandemic relief program is going to be implemented. So I think that's the first thing. In terms of the rebuilding the economy, that has to be done with equity. You better talk to Reverend Barber and the Poor People's Campaign. They have been working on this for years. They know what needs to be done. So there needs to be an approach by this administration that's not just a top-down, put a nice bureaucrat in charge, but actually working with folks that have been doing the work in the trenches for many, many generations. Absolutely. Uh, Bill Gallegos, as you know, we'll have you back. Thank you so much for joining us, and please stay well and safe. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Margaret. All righty, we're going to take a short station break, and coming up, London-based Selma James. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Just like the river, I've been running ever since. He said it's been a long time coming, but I know my change is gonna come. And the change is going to come. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. If you are a member of Facebook, you can like and friend us on Facebook. Just look for Sojourner Truth with Margaret Prescott. Check out our website at www.sotrueradio.org. Our handle on Instagram and Twitter at SoTrueRadio. We're also nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud. And uh, today in the United States, I'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Douglasville, Georgia. 
Georgia, Douglasville, Georgia. And as a nod to our next guest, we'll give a shout out internationally to our SoundCloud listeners in the UK. All righty. We are now going to continue our post-inauguration uh, uh, special here on Sojourner Truth. And I'd like to welcome our next guest, Selma James, activist, author, strategist, critical thinker, women's rights and anti-racist campaigner. She's the widow, widow of CLR James, the author of Black Jacobins, the major text on the Haitian Revolution. Selma James founded the International Wages for Housework campaign and is the international coordinator of the global women's strike. Her work is credited for introducing the term unwaged work into popular language and for putting the measuring, valuing, and paying for unwaged work on the international agenda of the women's movement and the United Nations. She is the author of Sex, Race, and Class, The Perspective of Winning, a selection of writings from 1952 to 2011. She has a brand new anthology uh, coming out uh, very, very shortly. Selma James, welcome back. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here again. Salma, what we'll do um, and just share with our listeners and then have your thoughts. We're going to do two things. It was a young woman, Amanda Gorman, who recited a poem at the Biden administration. She's 22 years old, uh, out of inner city uh, Los Angeles, and um, reflecting a, a feeling of hope that we heard from our first guest, uh, Jill uh, Cartwright, just a, a, a pieces from that poem, and then um, a clip of the Reverend William Barber. Bill Gallegos made a reference to Reverend Barber and the Poor People's Campaign uh, in the last segment. So let's hear those two and then get your thoughts. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? The loss we carry, a sea we must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace. And the norms and notions of what just is isn't always just is. And yet the dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. We are far from polished, far from pristine, but that doesn't mean we are striving to form a union that is perfect. We are striving to forge our union with purpose, to compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters, and conditions of man. And so we lift our gazes not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. As we grieved, we grew, that even as we hurt, we hoped, that even as we tired, we tried, that we'll forever be tied together, victorious, not because we will never again know defeat, but because we will never again sow division. Scripture tells us to envision that everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. 
So let us leave behind a country better than one we were left with every breath from my bronze pounded chest. We will raise this wounded world into a wondrous one. We will rise from the gold-limbed hills of the West. We will rise from the windswept Northeast where our forefathers first realized revolution. We will rise from the lake-rimmed cities of the Midwestern states. We will rise from the sun-baked South. We will rebuild reconcile and recover in every known nook of our nation, in every corner called our country, our people diverse and beautiful will emerge battered and beautiful. When day comes, we step out of the shade of flame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it. For there is always light if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. I'm saying this to the congresspersons, my dear friend, Sister Pelosi, and all of you. Don't just fast-track impeachment. Repent of us being a nation that has refused to fast-track righteousness. Huh? I know you're hot right now. I know you're hot. But, uh, huh, huh. And if you, really, if you really want, while it's wild, if you really want, don't just vote to impeach Trump a second time. Get down to the work of fast-tracking ending racism and fast-track ending poverty and fast-track uh, denying, uh, stop the, the stoppage of the denial of health care. You want to do something? Don't just prosecute and arrest the mob. We got to do that. But don't just do that. Push forward and arrest the attention of the nation with a moral agenda. Don't just get rid of Trump. Get rid of hate, get rid of meanness, get rid of a lust for power, get rid of injustice, get rid of unprincipled compromise. If you really want to do something, transform our politics from control by the corporations to control by caring for the least of us. Oh, hallelujah. That's what real repentance would look like. And you got to do that while you're hurting. You got to do it before you come all the way out of the wilderness so you can sing, how do you feel <laughs> since you come out of the wilderness. You can't come out of the wilderness feeling the same way you were before you went in the wilderness. Right now, while the nation is hurting, pass health care for everybody. Don't just stay focused on Trump. I know you got to do what you got to do. I understand that. But don't think that in and of itself. Not just about retribution and vengeance. It's about rejoining the cause of God. All righty. So there you go, Selma James. Uh, two uh, bits here. I'll have to say, just uh, listening to Amanda, for some reason, I I, I thought of um, Franz Fanon, and I thought of him talking about having to wake up and stop playing Sleeping Beauty and turning over a new leaf to set afoot a new human being. I've heard you talk uh, about uh, similar things as well. I wondered if you wanted to comment on uh, on, on just that, uh, but also uh, we just heard from Reverend Barbara and moving forward, also understanding the impact of Trump being out and now the Biden-Harris team being in as from a UK perspective and even a more global perspective, Selma James. Well, first of all, the woman has a facility with words which is going to produce great work in the future. I was amazed and people from England 
um, sent me messages saying they were very impressed with her, but not as impressive to me as Reverend Barber. He is just providing leadership in the United States and further afield because he has pinpointed poverty, which is the disease that has us all. That is the pandemic that is killing us, really. Um, we have, it has help from a nature which has turned against us, but it is really what we have to address and address in every country in the world. It's wonderful that Trump is gone, and it's a great tribute to the grassroots, 65% of whom, according to Reverend Barber, 65% of whom voted Democrat and have something, something to do with the fact that we have a new president and a new vice president. It's also important for people in the United States to know that people all over the world were watching when the White House was invaded and thinking, this happened in Honduras, and this happened in Haiti, and this happened in other countries of the world, and it was an American army that was moving in. And we hope that that will come to an end everywhere. You know, it's just wonderful that Biden is speaking about peace, and I hope he's not going to be speaking about arms and that military machine which um, Martin Luther King spoke so brilliantly about and rejected so firmly, and we have to continue to reject it. There are some things that I worry about, and I think I'm not the only one. Um, they both president and vice president are very sympathetic to Israel, which is an apartheid state. We don't want to be connected with an apartheid state and with a military state. And we have to know how they think about that and how we can be free of the connection. We don't want another another association like the one that the U.S. had for many years with South Africa. He's also invited an envoy to Southeast Asia to act for him, to act for his government, who is, um, who is the friend or at least the admirer of Kissinger. We don't want that kind of association. The people in Thailand, our, our friends, and in other countries are very worried about this. We don't want to have that kind of association with other countries in the United States or anywhere. It's terribly important also that we deal with poverty, bearing in mind that the poorest among us are women and children in every country. Women of color and children of color in the United States and, in fact, the world over. And uh, I'm delighted that President Biden has spoken of the fight for 15 having been won, or at least his moving towards it winning. You know, we, we 
love when um, Reverend Baba speaks to speaks about caring. That this is what we are moving towards, and I like to think that paying mothers is feeding children, and feeding children is really building peace. It's it's building respect for human beings, and it's building respect for the um, for the natural and the natural world, which we have allowed to be exploited and plundered in ways that we now regret and must move back to something that the indigenous people in many countries in the world have never moved from. That is, we as human beings, as social human beings, must live in harmony with the whole world if we're to have a world. And we want this world, and we want the beauty of it, and we want the possibility of relationships among us which are productive and, and, um, and satisfying to everyone. That's the kind of world that we want to build. This is a moment in time when the movement for justice has a chance to build and develop among people who are not personally ambitious, but ambitious for the whole society. That's what we need in our movement, in every movement. Yes, and, and Selma James, you made some reference uh, to uh, Reverend Barber and in the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for uh, moral revival and just for transparency uh, to our listeners. Of course, they likely know that I am involved in women of color in the global women's strike and also uh, work with Reverend Barber in the Poor People's Campaign. But the Poor People's Campaign in their Jubilee document, they have come out for a care income on top of a, a guaranteed income. And I, I wondered if you wanted uh, to give some comments on that. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Margaret. Um, the, the care income for us is the beginning of prioritizing people and the planet over the destruction of both people and planet, which we have seen. It starts that we prioritize caring. We prioritize those who are carers, whether mothers or others, and that this is the beginning of a society which cares for itself and each other, and which at the same time supports financially not only those who care low paid or no pay, but prioritizes the struggle for the planet and for all who live on it to survive and to flourish. And that, it seems to me, is, is another way of viewing what the economy should be for and what our relationships should be for. By the way, I, I, I'm, there's something that has worried me. You know, the Black Lives Matter movement has tremendous implications for us in the UK. It has made everyone look at the history of the British Empire, bloody as it is, every day we're finding out how bloody it has been and the legacy of this 
remains with us. So that's really been very helpful in fighting all kinds of racism. Um, but we worried, you know, that police, you know, Biden spoke about um, how if people are um, speak down to others or misbehave, he would sack them on the spot, fire them to you. Well, what about the police? It, it seems to me that unless the police are stopped, the police forces will be recruiting monsters. You know, they'll find, oh, this is the place for me in the police. I can do as I like with people I don't like. So that's really part of caring. We have to see that all of the institutions of our society, whatever society it is, because we live in one very close-knit world, you know, that all the institutions respect all in society, respect our connection with the natural world, respect the housing that people have and the education that people must be at people's disposal at every age. It's considering those who go out of their way to help others, beginning with mothers. You know, mothers have been so neglected, and part of the reason, it seems to me, is that people, women who have gone high into the society are taken as the role model, but they're not looking at us. They're looking at how to get higher, and we, that's not what we want, and that's not what we want for the women's movement. Today there was an article in the paper about how mothers miss meals to feed children. What kind of a society are we, at, are we in when this is not the starting point of everything that we do? This is not the kind of society we want. I think we're at that moment in time okay. in a lot of places in the world where that's on the agenda. Well, Selma James, thank you so very much. Out of time, there's so much I want to speak with you about. Now that your latest book is done, we hope to have you back and we can do a full in-depth hour with you. Selma James, thank you so very much for joining I, us. I would love that, Margaret. Thank you for having me. All righty. We are out of time. Um, I'd like to thank the Sojourner Truth team. Today's show produced by me. That's Margaret Prescott. I'd like to thank our audio engineer, Kiana Williams, our system producer, Romero Funes. Thank you for listening. And y'all, please stay safe. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. <laughs>